And I think the world that we're in now, to take it even further, is Jesus is saying, you're not going back to the boat either. You know, we've all kind of been had to step out and we've been forced out. And the life is uncertain and it feels like we're in a storm. It's dark. We don't know where land is and we don't know what where we're going to go, what even direction and whether it's going to be okay. And yet Jesus is saying, come walk, come walk with me, come walk with me into the storm and into the uncertainty. And um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you how it's all going to end, but just trust me in the process. Welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place for conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis, and I am so glad that you are here. Um, okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Follower Podcast. Really good to be with you today. Um, we're in the middle of the space where we're just having different people on the show. Uh, last week, we had Mads Dasel, who's a pastoral therapist and counselor, and she spoke all about therapy and formation. Next week, we have Langon Bonambi, who's part of the We Will Worship movement, if you know anything about that. We'll give you a snippet of that at the end of this conversation. But today, we have Carl Tinian, and uh, I haven't met Carl, actually, until today. We, we've had our first chat. But um, I was actually on a, an online workshop that he was doing around arts and faith and spirituality, and particularly some of the things he was sharing around sort of the prophetic function of art and, and how that rolls itself out in the world, I found so inspiring. And I thought it would be a really great gift to you on the podcast. So, uh, Cole, welcome to the Follow Podcast. Good to have you with us today. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here. And tell us where, where are you coming from? You're in New Zealand, obviously. Uh, yeah, I'm based in New Zealand in a city called Tauranga, uh, which is in the North uh, the North Island, um, probably about two and a half hours southwest of Auckland. Okay, great. Cool. And you're actually on your way to your holiday in Australia just before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am. I am. It's uh, pretty exciting. It's my, um, it's my wedding anniversary. Uh, so uh, my wife and I are escaping for, uh, I think, five days oh, to Sydney. Really so, good. yeah, we're really excited. It's t- we've been married 25 years, so it's uh, one of those big ones. Congratulations, so we're really man. Excited. Yeah, yeah, it's That's pretty amazing. cool. Pretty cool. Well, Cole, I thought we'd just jump right in. Could you um, give us a little sense of who you are? Maybe tell us a bit about your story. Uh, you, you spoke a little bit about your parents being in church in the 80s and a punk church, which I'm just fascinated by. And then, you know, some of your stories, just so many themes of leadership and art coming through over the years. I'd love for, for the audience just to get a sense of who you are and where you're from. Sure. Uh, well, if you've not worked it out already, I'm English um, and grew up in the West Midlands in a beautiful uh, town called Malvern, uh, which is about seven miles from Worcester. Uh, so the, the English version of Worcester. And um, I was born to a Christian family and really cool parents. My, my dad was a policeman. Mum was a nurse. And um, both of them quite art, arty types, my, both of them musicians. Um, both of them, are, uh, pa- my mum was a painter, my dad was a cartoonist. Uh, so quite a creative household. And uh, yeah, as you are mentioning, we, we just had a normal existence, really, going to a pretty normal um, church. Uh, and in the midst of that, a bunch of punks in my town got became Christians. And um, quite miraculous story with a leader of, the, they were a gang quite a quite a dangerous gang and and the leader of the gang 
had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus basically walked into his room about three o'clock in the, in the morning and said, you know, follow me. Uh, one of those kind of stories that you, you hear. And um, he was just, I think he wept for about two hours and then gave his life to the Lord. And then the rest of the gang became Christians. Um, and they started to try and find a church. And they came, one day they came to our very nice middle-class English church uh, with organs and beards and long dresses and niceness. And they turned up, and it's the 80s, so they turned up looking like Sid Vicious, you know, or Billy Idol or something like that. Uh, blue hair, mohawk, pierced everything. And, um, <laughs> you know, half-dressed, cigarettes hanging out of their mouths hung over from the night before and they were super excited that they found jesus you know where they came in there was about 40 of them um so you can imagine that they did i think the church were in a state of shock 40 punks turning up at once um <laughs> you, you'd be you'd be hard pressed to go is this real what's going on uh so they came in and they were just really excited and and <laughs> uh then they just kept coming back so they just kept coming every <laughs> sunday and um and stealing Bibles, you know, heaven forbid, uh, they were stealing, <laughs> stealing the word uh, and wanting to get involved in church life and want to help and serve coffees and smoking on the doorsteps of the church. And in the end, people couldn't cope with it. And um, they they kind of I won't go into the details, but my mum and dad inherited them along with another couple um, because they just I think they everyone realised it wasn't going to work there. So my, my parents kind of got got inherited that and they ended up becoming pastors of a punk church and they they met in like a garage someone's garage there were a few sofas in it this is like the mid 80s and um you know it was real messy like really really messy um and quite quickly i would say this the the good news went out across the town that there was a community of that was in, inclusive a place of belonging you know that that doesn't matter who you were where you'd come from uh, you could belong and be be loved just the way you were, um, and so people came from all over, all kinds of types: more punks, drug addicts, homeless, and just all kinds of hippies, weirdos, all kinds. And they just joined the church. So my my poor parents, um, you know, it doubled within a few months. I think it trebled actually. Um, and so they were trying, and they weren't trained pastors. They were trying to work out what the heck they were doing, and they had full time jobs. But I, I, you know, I was the age of, I was about seven. Um, so my life got changed quite considerably at, at that age and um, my normal became a different type of normal um, and so I grew up in that in that community um, it was it was it got embraced the, the charismatic movement quite quickly the punks were writing all their own music um, so yeah it, it was wild it was really wild um, but I grew up in that and I'm, I'm really grateful because I, I didn't think about it till later on in life that it was a community of grace. It was a mm. phenomenal space where you kind of, my parents and, and and others around them had to keep forgiving. They had to keep having patience and mercy towards people that just kept falling, falling back into old lifestyles and repenting every week. And it was a slow journey. And so that we, this culture of grace developed where, where we weren't shocked by anything and we just kept pointing people towards Jesus. And, and I'm so, I'm so grateful for it. It, it. it formed my whole life. It formed my leadership, it formed my view of discipleship. And really, because I suppose I grew up in a fringe church, it got me into church planting. And I've always been attracted to the fringes um, and, and people on the fringe and community on the fringe. Um, 
not out of some kind of aspirational desire, but just I, I feel happy there. And I'm an artist too, so I mean, of course, I'd, I'd kind of gravitate to the to the fringe anyway. But um, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. When I read a bit of your story, what you shared, I do see, uh, you know, you talk about yourself being an artist and I see that thread through so much of your story. But then I also see this leadership thread. I mean, you were le- you know, yeah. leading YWAM in, in, I think it was Europe for a while or England yeah. at, at a very young both. age. And, <laughs> both. And yeah. tell, tell us a bit about the merging of that world. And, and you know, it sounds sure. like this, this first community of punk church was quite formative in that as well. Yeah, big time. <clears throat> Um, so I got into the arts quite quite early on and um, I was in a theatre company as a teenager and my parents really just encouraged that um, and art and I, I ended up as a ceramicist, uh, pottery and painting and public speaking, all kinds of jazz like that and I got into YWAM at the age of 19, I just a desire to, to for adventure really and ended up in a drug rehabilitation center in Spain. And then uh, I worked in a leprosy colony in India and helped plant a church in a slum in India. And, you know, at the age of 20 or so, those things just, again, they just fried my brain being amongst the poor and, and thinking through theology. And I was, I was, I, even though my church had been a bit rough, I'd still grown up quite privileged, quite um, middle-class. We weren't rich, um, but you know, suddenly when you're exposed to a slum in India, you're just like, oh my word, you know, wow, mm. I what do I know about anything? And where's God in the midst of that? And what does face look like? And it was deeply challenging. I was there for about five months in India. <clears throat> but that propelled me onto this journey of leadership and discipleship. And I got into youth work quite quickly after that. I loved teenagers. I loved kind of the the... I don't know, around the 15 to the 25 mark. And I accidentally fell into church planting. So I ended up planting a youth church um, at about the age of 21. Just out of a desire to gather people um, and, and create discipleship. And it grew, grew to two, 300 kids coming every month. Um, and that, again, was quite formative. And in, in my leadership space, you practice leadership in those places. And so that kept unfolding for me uh, in YWAM. And I got into leadership of kind of YWAM communities, which are kind of like, you know, they're kind of like modern monastic communities in many ways, um, with a very outward facing um, missional kind of focus. And so, yeah, I just kept on that track, kept saying yes to, to things that God opened up. And quite, we started a community, we pioneered some new stuff in the north of England. And then, very, and then I found myself the national director for YWAM in England. And then that kind of kept opening up. So I always felt a bit out of my depth, um, so, but I just kind of kept trying to be faithful and serve. Um, and and I and I learned. I began to realise that my identity was this weird harmony between the artist side of me and the I don't say the theologian, but the the missioner, the the, the with a, a, a missional desire to to live out the gospel, not to just preach it but to create spaces where people could experience god learn about god um and so those things kept overlapping a lot and and i got into speaking more and more i love preaching i love teaching 
and I and I realized I'm an artist. Why don't I teach um, theology or, or, or unpack God's character through the, the the lens of the arts? So through storytelling and narrative, using visual, um, not just visual aids, but, but using the visual arts um, and theatre and uh, performance and all that kind of stuff in the way that I unpack theology. And uh, it just became a great joy, really. I'm a chef as well. Uh, so I've run a catering business for about 20 years. You have to do that in Wyoming because you, otherwise, you know, you, you're living off, living in the gutter somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, yeah, you were trying to find money from somewhere. And um, so I would begin to weave cookery and painting and poetry and storytelling kind of narrative performance into the way that I taught theology. And I realized quite quickly just the engagement of imagination, just the way people people's minds come alive when you engage their senses and the, the, the sensorial realm that leads to kind of engaged imagination. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it all. Amazing. Uh, and you talk about how um, we need to find new ways to communicate God's character using these, this visual yeah. art and the storytelling. Talk about that and yeah. how, how powerful <clears throat> art is there, you know? Yeah, well, when, I, when I'm teaching kind of groups of artists, I say, look, in essence, as Christians, we are communicators. We're first and foremost communicators because we are trying to convey um, two things to the world, what God's like, his character and nature, and then what, uh, what it's like to live with him, if you like, his ways, the Bible might say, or his culture uh, or his worldview. And we're trying to, to say God's like this. And this is what it's like to follow him. Those are the two things that we're trying to convey in just about every context. That's a very simplified way of thinking missionally, but I don't think it gets more complicated than that. And how you do that is, is the big challenge. What language you choose and the, the contextualized nature of knowing your audience and knowing the, the, the communication carrier um, of, of that truth. And in today's world, it's visual, it's, it's, um, it's narrative it's it's imaginative um <clears throat> it's short quite often it's the ted talk kind of space and, and if it's longer than that then you really need to engage people in discussion and um the tactile dimension of engaging um yeah so so that's kind of that's how that kind of unfolded and um i'm really passionate about it i i love i love being able to describe how cool God is to people that have never heard him without needing to ram some kind of propositional truth down someone's throat. Like I equally hate that. And I've always kind of balked at, at, at the, at the, Oh, I have to stand on the streets and preach this five point sermon. I've, I, 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 one, I was terrible at it. And two, I just didn't feel it was appropriate. Um, so I agree with the world that, that doesn't like Christians for proselytizing but I think we don't need to. We can be God honoring in the way that we unfold our own experience of God's character and our own experience of what it's like to walk with him um, in mind blowingly creative ways that stick. I, I did a master's later on uh, in my late 20s <clears throat> and I focused it on Protestant forms of iconography, but also the parabolic, what's called the parabolic imagination, which was really how Jesus used storytelling and parables to engage people's imagination, their spiritual imagination. And those studies just changed. I think that just, it, I went up a gear in every, every area of my life because I realized 
well, God came to earth to communicate the beauty of his nature and his kingdom. And he used story as the primary carrier of that and other means. And I just thought, wow, <laughs> that's that I want to be like that. And so I started to hone my storytelling skills and performance skills in pubs, clubs. I mean, actually mosques, Islamic societies, town squares, tents, you name it. Um, and realized, oh, this is, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I love it. That's incredible. Um, I love this idea of storytelling as the vehicle of truth. Um, I think it's, it's Tim Mackey or one of the theologians, they talk about how Jesus essentially is a performance artist and uh, how, how, yeah, yeah and, and like it's so much, they, they, they likened him to like a, a Banksy, like a Banksy would be kind of what Jesus was doing, you know, and how, yeah, I love that. <laughs> you know, and how everything Jesus did, like they used the example of Jesus coming in on the donkey. Uh, in the triumphal entry and how that was not accidental, but that in and of itself is a sermon and how Jesus was, yeah, yeah. he was doing performance art there because he was tapping into yeah, yeah, a cultural narrative and then upending it and bringing it around in another way, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So I just love what you're talking about. I wonder if you could give us some examples or maybe one or two yeah. stories where you've seen that yeah. in real life. I remember you telling us about the rejuvenation of the one area by the artists who moved in when you did that workshop, uh, there was like the streets that were terrible and they made it beautiful or whatever, but things like oh, that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe some examples of when you've sure. seen this be effective. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, you're right that Jesus was like that. I mean, that's, but so all the prophets, if you think about it, just about all the prophets were all performance artists. If they weren't acting out stuff, they were, they were doing pottery and they were doing theater and really visual acts, Elijah and the prophets of Baal is a piece of theater. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a Hollywood film waiting to happen. Um, so an example, um, I, um, I realized that cooking was a great way to, um, to engage audiences. And I just thought, well, I like cooking and I like art. Why wouldn't I bring those things into the way I tell story? Uh, so I started experimenting with it and uh, I would retell the story of when Peter was um, the restoration of Peter, you know, after the resurrection and the way they catch that big pile of fish. And Jesus says, you know, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me? And I was looking at that context and thinking, well, that's around a, a miraculous catch of fish, but also uh, breakfast. Like the, the real theological power in it is that Peter has denied Jesus three times. And then he doesn't see him again. Jesus dies and Peter's carrying that guilt. And so he sees him on the beach and he's kind of like probably all kinds of emotions thinking, what's he going to say? What is he? What must he think of me? Warn me. I do it. I said I wouldn't do it. I did it. Uh, can I make it right again? All those kind of thoughts. And he jumps out of the boat wading towards Jesus. And Jesus's first words are not, oh, Peter, how could you? But Jesus's first words are, let's have breakfast. And I think that's a theological moment. You know, it's just like this is the God of the universe. And this is how God deals with our inadequacy and with our mistakes. Um, it, OK, we'll talk about it, but let's have some breakfast. I've got some fish cooking on the fire. So I would tell that story, performed story, while cooking fish on a fire or on a, in a frying pan. I've done it in churches on altars with a little electric fryer. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and it's it's pretty cool, particularly good around the fire. But um, 
the whole audience is just completely, you know, they, they kind of everyone resorts to child, don't they, when they hear a story. But someone, the, the room's filled with food cooking. and Just the, the pin, a pin could drop, you know, it's that kind of, uh, those kind of moments. And then at the end, it's, it's this kind of, here's the truth. Doesn't matter where you're at right now. Doesn't matter what you're carrying, what you think God might be disappointed with you over. His word to you today is that he wants to have breakfast with you. He's relational and that's what he's like as a first port of call. And then I say to the audience, come and have fish, come and eat fish with me. And here's the fish is I bring out some bread, come and eat, come and eat, come and eat with Jesus right now. Wow. And so people come and, and do that. Um, I, it, so about 15 years ago, I was in, in a context telling this story and a couple of Norwegian guys were walking past the room. I think it was near a street and the door must have been open. There were young guys. And they heard the tone of a story, as you do. You know, you, we, our brains are hardwired for, for story. And they heard this story being told. And so they came in the room, they gate crashed. It was dark and so they came in. No one, no one saw them. And they sat at the back, total non-Christians, and they listened to this whole story. And then at the, at the end, I kind of do this. It's kind of like a response. Come and have breakfast with Jesus. So everyone starts coming down the front and everyone's eating fish and bread. These Norwegian guys come down the front and they and they queue up and they eat this fish and bread. And I'm looking at them going, oh, who are they? You know, who brought, who brought them in? We're trying to work out what's happened. Yeah. And so they're eating this fish. And then we went into a time of worship after that. And these two lads came up to me and they said, oh, we're really sorry. We gate crashed. And we just sounded like a cool story as we came in. But, as you were, um, as you told this story, we'd never thought of God like that, and we just thought if He's like that, we want to have breakfast with Him. You know, we want to have breakfast with Jesus, and we were so compelled that we just came down the front and we just took some fish. I hope is that okay? That's amazing. And I'm I laughed. I'm like, wow, that's that's so amazing that you felt felt free to do that. And that's so. That's of course it's okay. Um, the message was for you too. And they said to me, well, we ate fish with Jesus. Does that mean that we're Christians now? <laughs> and I, I was faced with a moment, you know, a theological moment of, um, huh, well, you know, our, our ancient training button inside us goes, well, you need to say a sinner's prayer. You need to right, tick right. off some box. And but I, I, I kind of pushed that aside and said, do you know what? Yeah, it does. You've just basically had breakfast with the creator of the universe and he wants to know you. So yeah, you've just you've just basically opened up yourself to a relationship with Jesus. Well done. And can I pray for you? And they're like, wow, that's awesome. So I prayed for them and that was it. I never saw them again. Uh, I don't really know what where where they went, what what happened. Um, but that moment I think cemented it in my head. I was like, wow, that's mind blowing. That's out of my control. And I didn't force that or engineer it in any way and that's where the holy spirit kind of is, it's it's about him mm. and he's leading people to the fragrance of of god and mm. we just do our part so that for me changed i think i've i've contemplated that many times over over my life where i thought that's that's amazing and that's a privilege to be able to do that kind of thing mm. and i've done that in pubs and all kinds of places 
I love how um, I love how embodied it is. I love how tactile that that is. I think, you know, yeah. and I, I'm not for the absence of theology. I think theology really matters, but I think sometimes we, um, you know, if it's a spectrum, we go too far to the one side. And I think yeah. this kind of embodied truth and this kind of embodied practice where people, you know, they don't even know what they're necessarily entering into, but they're entering into this whole experience as a way to meet Jesus. I was literally just talking um, with a friend of mine this weekend, and he said, you know, Jesus basically ate his way through the New Testament. You know? Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's my kind I, of I just love that. <laughs> yeah, I just love Eat, that, man. Actually eating and drinking, really. Totally. I mean, he yeah. was constantly dr- judged for being a boozer, yeah. which is hilarious. Yeah. So that's so interesting just in terms of our cultural moment at the moment. You know some of the some of the polarizing things that are heavily weighted on ideologies and and thoughts and ideas, and then in the midst of this kind of comes this artistic expression that says, "Well, just come eat at a table." Um, I don't know if that resonates yeah. with you. I'm just kind of pulling on that thread a little bit. Yeah, I, I, it, you know, there's a bunch of things that unfolded uh, for me in that, and one of them was. I think someone came up to me at one point and said, why don't you set up a YouTube channel and try to, as a cookery channel, and try to combine the teaching of all this, the narrative of theology through cookery. And I was like, wow, okay. So we launched this thing called, it was called Heavenly Nosh, and you can find it on YouTube. And I was trying to um, think through how to, um, how to, it was either devotional, I never quite worked out what it was, but it was, it was kind of devotional thoughts, but you're learning how to cook at the same time. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, it was a heck of a lot of fun. Actually, my fish telling stories are on there somewhere. Um, but, but I then started thinking, what if I could do a gastronomic tour of the Bible? Like, like, could I, could I tell the story of the Bible completely from Genesis to revelation through food, just through food? So I designed a, a I think it was 24 courses um, a degustation, you know, um, <laughs> an eating experience that starts in, in Genesis and, and each um, course correlates to a to a, a part of the story that unfolds. And, um, and so they practiced it on a, on a bunch of different audiences. And it was just the most profound, profound experience. I think the first time I did it, it took us three and a half hours to work through 24 courses and there was wine and i did i did it in france actually and that was really interesting because the french just you know who traditionally you'd say oh the french quite philosophical not so open to christianity but in that context they were fully engaged and loved it loved it um and i i sort of would try to think of metaphor and symbolism of food um in in how that conveyed a part of the story so and this and, and the more I thought about it, you know, the promised land is about big grapes and it's about land of milk and honey, which is a milk and honey milkshake. Um, and the, the prophets are about bitter herbs and, you know, it, it, the birth of um, you've got the Passover meal. Um, I did a anti Passover, which was about disobedience. That's a different explanation. When Jesus is born, it's, it's roast lamb. Um, when Peter gets a revelation of the cloven hoof and bivalve, you know, it, when that when that sheet comes down, it's basically it's, it's bacon sandwiches and it's um, it's oysters. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, deeply offensive to the Jewish mind. But 
all of these things are uh, i think when paul talked about renewing the mind i poached a lamb's brain in pinot noir yeah um, because because it was a brain that was being slowly poached in new wine wow uh, which is a great picture isn't it for having our minds renewed um and then i made everyone eat it uh, so <laughs> and how was uh, that so did they the, enjoy it oh no not really <laughs> well actually it tasted it tasted uh, the french were okay that because they could yeah. cope with um with offal but i've done it in english context and they weren't so they were a little bit more appalled by it um so yeah the, the, that whole way of 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 using food as a as a as an icon in itself that points people towards deeper revelation of god mm. i think it's pretty cool and i yeah. uh, you know there's no end to what you can do with it i just love the creativity of it colin i think you know as christians and followers of jesus we are animated by the spirit of creativity you know the spirit of god yeah. is like endless creativity and i do think sometimes absolutely we get a little bit stagnant in our expressions and we kind of we get stuck in a particular way of doing things and i just love how how creative and and out of the box you you are thinking about communicating the gospel to people yeah yeah i love it it's my joy really and the more you switch your brain on to that kind of thinking out of the box it, the, the the endless possibilities and endless ways of thinking about stuff start to kind of unfold mm-hmm. um, and i enjoy that i'm not hindered really um, but i'm rooted in a desire to a love for the for the bible a love for the story um, and a and a deep desire that people would know god the way i know him And, and, you know, your journey has taken you, I mean, I'm just thinking a little bit about the life that you're painting here. So growing up as a teenager in, in sort of this punk church, being with YWAM, very, quite a charismatic expression, but then those experiences yeah. shaping and shifting your theology. And then, you know, you say yeah. that at the moment you've kind of, like right now you're working with the Anglican church in New Zealand as a church planter, Yeah. but you've landed quite strongly in the contemplative tradition as well. I wonder if you could yeah. maybe track some of that journey in and through it all and, and why contemplation and why yeah. that kind of world. I think that when I left home, I'd grown up with that charismatic kind of experience and I experienced the Anglican church in the UK and was, and I think in my head, I thought, Oh no, that's a bad expression. It's all tradition and stuff. But when I went, I was like, Oh, I actually really like this, you know, meditating on a stained glass window. Um, is endlessly beautiful for me it's art um it's it's the kind of the whole realm of the icon um and liturgy is poetry and the singing of the psalms and the incense and i mean every, every, not all Anglican churches do that but it's so sensorial in the way that it, it the way that it helps you communicate with god even the the, the communion kind of process and I read a lot around Celtic spirituality at that time. This was in my early 20s. And I realized I kind of really fell in love with contem- contemplative Christianity through the Celtic route. Not because it was all trendy. I think it, I just really appreciated the Celtic love for, for nature, for art, um, for poetry, for music, for, for, yeah, for, for song. And it just launched me on that journey of reading more. I began to read more of the Desert Fathers, a lot of the, the more ancient writers, um, 
and was really impacted. I've been feeding on co contemplative writers for the best part of 25 years now. And, you know, it's had just had a huge effect on me. And in Wyoming, I was lucky enough to be able to work across denominations. So throughout Europe, you know, I'd engage in, in the Orthodox Church in Central Europe and Eastern Europe and um, with the Catholic Church, uh, with, with the Coptic Church in, in Egypt. And, um, and you go into the, the more that you hang out with people different from yourself, I loved Richard Foster. I love Richard Foster. As you said earlier, he was a huge influence on me. But the more you hang out with people different than you, the more humbled you are and the more you, you realise how much you have to learn and, and that your own expression is just a, a small part of the bigger picture. And so I've, I've really begun to learn and, um, denomination denominational appropriation <laughs> uh, but but kind of absorbing stuff that's not mine i think that's actually great it's the way god's designed it um and so i that that's just i began i wrote my own prayer book um books of prayers i think one day i realized i write poetry why can't i write prayers so i, I published a book and 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 then i had nuns buying it and you know i just thought oh wow this is this is a real, it's all messed up, but in a really beautiful way. Um, and then I've, I've found myself in the, in the Anglican church here and, and loving it really. I mean, they've employed me to reimagine church in, in the New Zealand context and to do new things in new ways. And I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, we'll probably, we're looking at starting an alternative cafe church, but I'll, I, I, it will be contextualized around food and around community, but we will weave in ancient liturgy, ancient kind of approaches to the sacraments. But it, because I think they're beautiful and they're important. And I think the world is actually strangely looking towards ancient spirituality again, because they realize it's a constant mm. and the rhythms of life that, that, that aid well-being are found in the church, the ancient church um, historical narrative. Um, and so I will, I want to some, I haven't quite worked out how that looks, um, but I won't reject those things. Mm. Um, I love praying the prayer book. I just think it's brilliant. And in New Zealand, we're lucky because the Anglican prayer book has Maori language in it. It's called Te Reo. And so they incorporate Maori language in a prayer oh, life. How beautiful. And as well in, bilingual, in a bilingual way. And I just, oh, I just think that's yeah. so rich, yeah. so rich. Um, I like that lighting candles and I, you know, I think it's okay to have those as part of our practice. Mm. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I think I've just got, things... I just got accepted to be ordained as well. So that's, oh, really? that's going to Congratulations. Change. Yeah, that was weird. I just found out a couple of nights ago, I've been through this yeah. long winded process. So that will probably change gear again. I don't know what the heck I'll, I don't know what I'll end up looking like, but I'll be this kind of <laughs> arty chefy priest. Who knows? <laughs> You know, I completely relate, eh, Carl. In in some senses, like um, I, I really agree with some of the things you've said here that, that stand out to me are uh, exposure brings humility, and I think uh, you know I grew up in the Anglican Church, then I was a youth pastor yeah. in the Meth Methodist Church, then I worked <laughs> I worked wow. with Scripture Union, which worked with every single church that you could imagine possibly. Yeah. Then I was a church planter with the Pentecostal church <laughs> and, and now I'm working with YWAM. So, and, and all of that, not only in South Africa, but in many countries around the world. So 
I think oh, I can just really resonate with what you're saying. It's like the smaller my context, the more um, sectarian I can tend to be. Like I can start yeah. to think that my worldview is the worldview. But the more I yeah. travel and the more I, I connect with people all over the world, it it does become a very humbling experience um, yeah. to uh, to you start to see that the way that someone in Asia relates to Jesus is not the way that I relate to Jesus. And then yeah. if Jesus is, if he has to remain Jesus in the midst of all that difference, then he's got to be something more than just my view of that, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. It's healthy. It's yeah. the way it's meant to be. Yeah. yeah. We're not meant to be monocultural in the way that we approach God. I don't think. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other thing that you really pulled on, which I thought was so great was, this idea of tapping back into, I guess, our heritage. I think one of the things I've appreciated about the contemplative tradition is that we're drawing from church fathers and mothers, traditions and spiritualities that have been around for a really long time. I think sometimes yeah. con contemporary Christianity can want to almost like cut off its roots, you know, and so it becomes like this a new kind of expression that doesn't really honor I don't know, like the whole family of faith that we've been a part of. And this, there's been a following of Jesus for thousands of years, you know, and yeah. what I love about, for example, the, the prayers or, or the, um, the daily offices and these kinds of things is, is they, they anchor me in something older than myself. And there's a richness to God yeah. that I find in that. I don't know if you relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, these are people that have, that have, practiced for you know it's been practiced for thousands of years and the the people that have impacted me most have often gone through un, just un, un, unimaginable hardship um and have, have maintained intimacy with with god through that you know you think of julian of norwich spending 30 odd years in a locked cell or madame guillon who i love french uh, mystic um who was in prison for her faith and 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 the the, the long list of those kind of people mm. um i want they have something i want to to hear from them because they have persevered and and have not given up and and have pressed into god when probably others would have given you know fallen away and those voices are so important to us in today's world where we're not great at perseverance and we don't like hardship and um, you know, I, I, I think they're precious stories and they're part of our of our lineage. They're part of our family story as a group of global Christians. Mm. Um, and they form our identity today if, if we allow it, if we draw from it. And, you know, so so my 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 morning readings, you know, my quiet times, I'll, I'll sometimes be reading from Julian of Norwich, who wrote those those prayers, you know, 900 nearly a thousand years ago 900 right. years ago right, yeah. and you just go and i'm still learning from i'm learning from her still and able to pray out those words that's a again that's a that's a, a gift to us totally Carl, um, thank you so much for uh, this conversation. <laughs> I am uh, oh, aware of, of our time. I wondered if, you know, to kind of land, uh, I wanted to maybe leave the listeners with a thought from you, particularly you, you spoke about this idea of uh, risk-taking being connected to faith um, yeah. and then uh, trusting that God is good and kind. 
Um, I feel like why, why I wanted to pick that up is because I feel like one of the responses I've seen in many places at the moment is kind of off the back of everything we've experienced as a planet naturally. So people have almost like buckled down and kind of, you know, gone into a little bit of a hibernation space. And I feel like mm. there's this invitation from the spirit for us to like step out again, you know, almost like, okay, draw, yeah. open up the windows, open up the doors. Let's, let's begin to move again. Let's begin to dream with God again. And I wonder if you could maybe just speak into that, like maybe an encouragement around this idea of taking risk and trusting God and what that looks like in your own life at the moment. Yeah. I mean, my, my own life has been um, very, very uncomfortable the last two to three years. We, my wife and I emigrated, my wife's a Kiwi. So that's partly why we, we moved to New Zealand, but, you know, my job came to a bit of an end and, and that was unexpected. And um, I'd fe- I felt a bit lost really in, in what I, where I was, what, what did I, what, where was God leading us? We, we were living by faith. And so financially it was pretty, pretty challenging, but really just not quite sure what the future held. And, and so we, we, we felt God speak about New Zealand, but we didn't know why and what we were going to do. And so we took that that risk, that leap leap of faith with our teenage kids, um, not in uncertainty. And and then COVID broke, so we were planned to go, and then COVID broke, so the whole world then sort of turns up on its on its side. And we emigrated in the midst of uh, after a ninety day lockdown in the UK, and landed in New Zealand, really not having any clue what we were supposed to do. And that was disturbing and uh, vulnerable um, because it tests your faith and um, tests all your kind of inner identity pieces. Um, and so, you know, for, for the first year of being here, I pushed lots and lots of the doors, got involved a lot. I, I love networking. I got my hand in all kinds of pies. I was cooking for a homeless charity and helping start a Christian art gallery and mm-hmm. lecturing in YOM. And yeah. I created an art studio. And so I, I, you know, I got on with stuff, but none of it was my calling. And that was pretty disturbing. Um, and then suddenly God opened up this Anglican church plant thing. And it was in the 11th hour. It was in that space where I just, I thought I've made it. We, my wife and I both were like, we've made a mistake. What have we done? Um, we're screwed, you know, and, and we cried out to God in desperate, in desperation. Lord, we trust you. You're good and you're kind. You're faithful. You've always been faithful, even when it doesn't feel like it. And, and, and all we've got now is to look to you and, and trust that you, your words are true and good. And that is what faith means theologically. Faith is to, to be utterly convinced that God's words are true, that when he speaks, he's faithful and he's kind and he's true to his word. That's faith. It's not magical pixie dust that we grab from the air. And so that was our space. And, and so kind of to give you that word picture, and it can sometimes gets a bit overused, it's like Peter stepping out of the boat, you know. I think everyone keeps saying that in this COVID world. But let me take the picture further for you. You know, Peter Peter said, Jesus, if you ask me to come, I'll come to you. So he didn't do it in his own strength. Jesus And Jesus must have smirked and gone, okay, Peter, you know, I like the way you're thinking, you know. Okay, if you think you're hard enough, come on, step out of the boat. <laughs> so Peter steps, he steps out of the boat and, and it's a raging storm. I think we forget that because we, we tend to go, oh, well, he, 
it was all about walking on water. But really, it was a raging, raging storm. Black clouds, rain, waves everywhere, psychopathic. So it wasn't just the water. It was like hardcore storm. And Jesus is, whatever he's doing, he's just kind of chilling out, walking in the midst of a storm. And Peter, you know, everyone's fearing for their life. And so but Peter's thinking differently. And he walks on water and he walks to Jesus. And Peter learns in that space that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the storms of life take second place. They don't go away. The storm didn't abate. But he broke the laws of science by, by walking on water. But his, his focus was on Jesus, not on the storm. Mm. And, and I've always been really, I've tried to live my life like that, that when we step out in that way, the miraculous happens, the supernatural happens. Um, but, and, and the storms of life take second place. And I think the world that we're in now, to take it even further, is Jesus is saying, you're not going back to the boat either. You know, we've all kind of been had to step out and we've been forced out. And the life is uncertain and it feels like we're in a storm. It's dark. We don't know where land is and we don't know what where we're going to go, what even direction and whether it's going to be OK. And yet Jesus is saying, come walk, come walk with me, come walk with me into the storm and into the uncertainty. And um, I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you how it's all going to end, but just trust me in the process and hold my hand. Um, and and we will do amazing things together and the storm will come will become your, your new normal. Uh, but your new normal also includes being fully saturated in the presence of jesus mm. and i think that's the way that god's designed life to be anyway i think that he wants us to be in that space to, to 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 not be thrown by those things or put off but to keep our eyes fixed and to be productive to be fruitful to be extraordinary human beings in the midst of a storm right and i the way i look at, at the world at the moment I don't, the storm's not going anywhere soon yeah um and it's it's going to go on for a while longer, and so you know that that's that exhortation to us to to not try and keep fighting back to get into the boat of what it was what it used to be. It, it's right. gone. It's not yeah. coming back. And, but it's okay. It's okay. In, in in the midst of a storm, Jesus' presence is peace. Thank you, Carl. And uh, you've mentioned a few things, your blog, your YouTube channel, your book. Uh, where can people find all this stuff? Um, so the YouTube channel is Heavenly Nosh, which is a Nosh is an English slang for food. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to think of food for the soul. Um, my blog is just carltinian.wordpress. I just write all kinds of bits and bobs, theological musings on there. Um, my book is... Uh, it ran out of print it we sold them all which was kind okay. of quite nice that's great. <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm in the process yeah i mean that's was a surprise isn't it uh so you can find it on amazon but it doesn't exist it just says oh out of stock yeah, yeah um yeah. so i am in the process of trying to work out how to put that on kindle it was designed to be a little tiny prayer book that went in the back of your pocket yeah um so it was mobile and it was easy um, but I'm thinking maybe I could digitize it and get it into a phone, you know, Kindle type format. So hopefully it'll come soon. Okay, great, man. Well, guys, all those uh, links will be in the show notes. Thank you, Carl, so much Thanks, for your man. time. Really appreciate having no, my you. My pleasure. 
And guys, next week on uh, on the Follow Podcast, we have Langa Mbonambi. And so uh, here's a little snippet of that show coming to you next week. Hope you enjoy. So I would have people, because I'm involved in We Will Worship, and we I guess we have some sort of a public platform, is, you know, I'd have a mother come up to me. Oh, my God, you need to meet my daughter. She is such a worshiper, you know. And uh, and I would get what you're saying. You know, she's saying, you know, she sings really well. She loves singing and worshiping the Lord in that way. Um, but, you know, with having more and more encounters like that, realizing that, man, people have understood true worship to be what we do when we sing songs. And uh, but after actually reading and studying the scriptures, is seeing that God's mandate to us or desire or ask uh, is that we would love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. Uh, and and that's his des- been his desire from Genesis to you know all the way to Revelation is that we would love Him with everything in everything.